Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Amen. How's everybody? All right, man, I'm so glad that you're here, and uh, I'm so glad that I'm here. Uh, I do count this uh, an incredible privilege to have him at my feet, Uh, but uh, no, I I do, this is a a joy for me, especially all you young people down there and uh, throughout the building and in the overflow, and uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how many years we've been doing the mission focus. I think it's been going on for probably at least a decade, maybe more. And the reason we do this, uh, first and foremost, is because it's fun. <laughs> right? I mean, this is just fun to be able to get together with people and be able to be like-minded, to just recognize that we're not all just crazy in our own little niches. There's a bunch of other crazy people in other places. Another reason that we do this is because to stay mission focused is really hard. Amen? Listen, there's a lot of stuff in life that demands our time, that demands our energy, that demands our, our focus. A lot of it's bad, for sure. But there's a lot of it that's good. There's a lot of it that's biblical. <laughs> Things that we must give our time and attention to. And uh, I, I wish I had time to just spell all of that out. We've just got a lot of biblical responsibilities. And so it's easy for us to get to the place to where we, we get off focus in terms of the mission. And, and this is one of those cases where the good is sometimes the enemy of the best things. And tonight I want to take you to a passage that um, this is one of those passages, y'all, that I don't know that I've ever been sitting around with a group of Christians and we got to this passage and we just hung on the rim for a while and just talked about this. Uh, but wow, it's one of these passages that I got to tell you takes, takes me back. Uh, I've got to, to figure out what to do with a passage like this, but it's a passage that I believe that if we will have ears to hear it, everybody know what I'm talking about there? If we will have ears to hear it, it will definitely give to us a mission focus. And so tonight, as we read this passage together, what I would love for you to do is rather than, you know, kicking to neutral and, yeah, oh guys, here's the passage. I'd love for you to just 
maybe pretend for a second that Jesus has freeze-framed everybody else in the room but you. <laughs> and Jesus, I don't know what I just said, but it's not liking me leading. So I'm going to stand up. Jesus is going to stand up and look in you <laughs> in the eye. <laughs> and, and Jesus is going to say this to you. I think, listen, I think if Jesus was saying this to you, I think you would hear it differently. Then we're going to begin the message tonight by reading the passage. Okay, so let's, let's dive in tonight and let's let Jesus speak to us right from the get-go. The passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 29 through 31. Now Paul is actually speaking this. And he says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. To which I say, wow. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possessed not. And they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. And Lord, as we, as we seek to dive into this passage tonight, Lord, I confess that without you, I can do nothing. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that you'll take the things that uh, I feel like you've led me in preparation. But Lord, I, I pray that in these moments together that somehow you might just transcend that whole human element and that this will be a time where the word of the Lord has free course and is be glorified in our midst, that the spirit of God is free to move and to adjust our minds and our hearts to what you want to say to us. And we ask this tonight in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dive into our, our notes. And w w as Paul is laying out this passage, the way that this was unfolding for me, is I, I was seeing that he was talking about two monumental truths to reconfigure our mindset. For all of you young people, to change the way that we think. <laughs> but, but there's some reconfiguring that we've got to do when we come to a passage that is saying such bold things, such crazy almost things in light of everything else that the scripture says and this first monumental truth that kind of just establishes what happens in this passage. The first one is the fact that the time is short. Anybody believe that tonight? 
The time is short, and what Paul wants to lodge into our minds in verse 29 is that there are at least two major takeaways that we can glean from this, this concept that the time is short. First of all, it's time is short in terms of the amount of time that we have to live. Now, you don't fully understand that when you're young. The older you get, the more you realize just how short life really is. And everybody over 50 said, I didn't know there was that many people over 50, man. (laughs) And young people, this ain't for old folk that I'm talking tonight. Listen, let me just tell you young people, life is short, man, and it goes Quick. Psalm 90 and verse 10 tells us that the average lifespan is about 70 years. And if you're under about, say, 35 or so, that seems like an eternity, man. But you, you hit 35 one day, and all of a sudden you realize, in, in, in light of Psalm 10, or 90 and verse 10, you realize that half of your life is over. And the crazy thing is, is the second half goes about five times as fast as the first half. And everybody over age 50 said, it's for real, y'all. I think it's interesting the way that God talks about these 70 years in James chapter four and verse 14. First of all, God asks a question. He says, for what is your life? And to make sure that we didn't come up with some crazy answer, he goes on to answer it for us, and he says, it's, it's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And so, first of all, Time is short in terms of the amount of time that we have to live. And then secondly, time is short in terms of the amount of time we have left. (laughs) Listen, the the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the Romans in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. And he says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. And I'll remind you that Paul wrote that 19 and a half centuries ago, (laughs) that the day is at hand. So where, I don't know, where do you think that day is now? The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 where Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. And again, I'll remind you that Peter wrote that 19 and a half centuries ago. And so it just screams to us, we don't have much time left, y'all. Hello? The time is short and it's short because before we know it, y'all, they're gonna be throwing our lifeless body into a hole in the ground. Or before we know it, the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna yank our living body off of the face of this earth. But either way, the time is short. And the point that Paul's trying to get us to see back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 29 is. Basically, there's no time 
to be dinking around with a value system or an approach to life or a, a mindset that for all practical purposes looks a whole lot like the value system and the approach to life and the, the, the mindset that lost people have. I, I know that in churches like we're all from, we're always talking about how short the time is. But I gotta tell you, I wonder if we really believe it. I say it all the time. I've gotta ask myself whether or not I really believe it because if we really believed it, it would certainly seem to me that that Belief in the time being short would translate into something that would change our life. I mean, <laughs> if we knew we had 60 seconds to get our kids or our grandkids out of a burning house, the shortness of time would mean something to us. It would kick us into a totally different gear. You know what's crazy? In terms of this shortness of time thing and how we function and how we approach it, there is an incredible biblical example of somebody that gets it. And it's the weirdest biblical example that you could ever imagine. Because you know who we learn this the best from? Satan. This will be the only time in your life that we're gonna follow the example of Satan. <laughs> Put that out there on the feed somewhere. <laughs> Pastor Mark was talking about following the example of Satan tonight. But for real, Listen to it. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12 says that in the middle of the tribulation, he's going to figure out where things are on God's time clock. And it says that he's going to come down to this planet having great wrath. Listen, man. Because he knoweth that he hath the same thing we're talking about tonight. He's going to know. He hath but a short time. Revelation chapter 13 and verse five talks about that short time being a period of 42 months. Revelation 12, six puts it in terms of days and says it's gonna be 1,260 days. And listen, y'all, when it finally dawns on him that that's where things are in God's timeline, back in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, listen, it kicks him into a completely different gear. And when it does, God tells us in the middle of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, woe be to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, not just having wrath. I mean, he's always had that, y'all. But at this point, he comes down with great wrath. And why does he? because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And listen, when Satan knows that, and when Satan believes that, 
it changes how he operates. And so he approaches every day for 42 months, for 1,260 days, he approaches every single day with a different focus, with a a different level of urgency than he's had for the last 6,000 years. He comes down with a heightened intensity, a faster pace, an elevated determination, an increased passion, an intensified zeal, a more extravagant boldness, a more dogmatic conviction, a more resolved steadfastness, and a greater wrath and vengeance toward God and his people than he has ever had in all of the annals of time because he knows The time is short. And I can't can't help but wonder, y'all, why it is that those of us that claim to be God's people living in the last days I I marvel that we can talk all the time about the Lord's coming and our belief in the shortness of time that we have left, and it never kicks us into another gear in terms of our love for God or our passion for his work or his mission. All of those over-the-top words that I was going off on, Why aren't those same words true of us? Because we really do believe that we have such a short time. If having a short time causes Satan to express his great wrath toward God, Why doesn't the shortness of time cause us to express our great love for God? And that's the first monumental truth that Paul begins with in this passage. The time is short. And then let's look at the second monumental truth that ends this passage. And it's in verse 31 where Paul says the fashion of this world is passing away. In other words, everything in life that we tend to think means so much, it's all passing away, y'all. It's not gonna last. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Peter talks about how the heavens shall Here's our words. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, explosion. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. In other words, everything in this world is all gonna go up in smoke. And so watch Peter's deduction from that reality in verse 11. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, that they are all passing away. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation 
and godliness. In other words, because of that reality, it ought to change the way that we live. It ought to change the way that we think. And it's really the same point that Paul's making back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 31. Since all of this stuff that we think that life is really about has no continuing role in eternity, Paul is saying, why don't we live our lives for the things that will continue in eternity? And so those are the two monumental truths that Paul says should reconfigure our mindset. So change the way that we think. The time is short. And the fashion of this world passeth away. And then next, Paul tells us that these two monumental truths should affect us three ways. And Paul shows us here three monumental applications to reshape our lives. In other words, because of these monumental truths, this is how it ought to flesh out in real life. And first of all, these monumental truths that we just talked about, the time is short and the fashion of the world's passing away, it ought to affect us maritally. In other words, in our marriage. <laughs> okay, so all of the single people and all of the young people just said, okay, I can take a break for a little while. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is I'm saying this for you because chances are good you're gonna get married one day. And buddy, it's a jungle out there. I didn't think that was even gonna bring laughter, actually. <laughs> because it brings me to tears more times than not. It is a mess. People are jacked up. <laughs> and jacked up people tend to find each other. <laughs> and so in the words of Indiana Jones, <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> with that <laughs> he's getting ready to touch me <laughs> I, I knew it he, he just has a thing for me <laughs> am I doing something wrong no. okay but you know what words I'm gonna say right now <laughs> you guys don't even know who Indiana Jones is do you <laughs> I've, I've watched three movies in my life, and that's one of them. <laughs> Choose wisely. Okay, so I'm saying that so that I can get all the young people to listen. Because, whew, this passage is a doozy when it comes to talking about how the time being short and the fashion of this world passing away it says some pretty crazy things about marriage. Paul says in verse 29 that those of us who have wives should be as though we had none. 
So how are we to understand that? I mean, for real. Well, first of all, I think it's very important for us to understand that what Paul's saying to men in verse 29 about their marriage doesn't discount or nullify the instruction that he's given to us in other places in the scripture. Amen? I, I got to tell you, y'all, I've taken about the last 25 years of my ministry to every chance I get, man, I try to pound into men's hearing the biblical responsibility of a husband. And as we go to the Bible and just let the Bible be the Bible, as we look at God giving us the responsibilities, giving to us our job description as husbands, we find that there are seven biblical responsibilities that God gives to us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 31, it says that we are to love her. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 7, it gives us the next three responsibilities, that we are to dwell with her, in other words, to build security, to be settled in that home, and God gives that responsibility to husbands. We are to know her, we are to honor her. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that we are to provide for her. First Corinthians 14, 35 tells us that we are to teach her, uh, or pastor her. Uh, Matthew 12 verse 29 tells us that we are to protect her. And listen, all of you men, whether you're married or single, you need to understand one of these days, these are gonna be the, your biblical responsibilities to somebody that you take as your wife. I feel like every young person in this room, every young man in this room, you better look at that list long and hard before you ask that girl to marry you. Because if you don't choose wisely, you are gonna wear yourself out doing that. And that's why Paul's bringing this up in this passage, y'all. This is our job description. And I believe that every single man in this room, we are gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day and we're gonna answer for whether or not we fulfilled that job description for our wives. And what Paul's telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 29 is, yeah, man, oh, go back, yeah, that verse, go back to that list. Yeah, man, do all of that. Do all of those things, God commanded it. It's our responsibility. But he's also wanting to make sure that we recognize that the relationship that we have with our wife is temporal. And our marriage to her won't be a part of our eternal existence. And he says at the end of verse 31, you can go there, I guess, the earthly fashion of marriage, as wonderful as it is, as God-ordained as it is, as blessed of God as it is, as important to God as it is, it's all according to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32. That whole marriage thing is just a picture to help us to understand the beautiful reality of our marriage 
to Christ. Hello? It's a picture of that. It's a picture of our oneness with him. And what Paul is communicating about the relationship that we have with our wives in marriage is that when our relationship with our wife has superseded our relationship to Christ, we've missed the point. And to put it in practical terms, we could say this. Okay, we just looked, laid out the biblical responsibilities of a husband. I'm sorry, why don't you go back to that if you would. And again, these are the things that God has commanded us to fulfill. We're all going to give an account for these things. But Paul's trying to get us to see that there's a problem. Our, our life is whacked out. Our value system is jacked up. Our mindset is off. When I love my wife more than I love the Lord. When, when my wife is more settled dwelling with me than the Lord is dwelling inside of me. Something's off, y'all. When I know my wife more than I know the Lord. Something's off when I honor my wife more than I honor the Lord. Something's off when I'm providing for her the basic essentials that she needs, but I'm not actually fulfilling the basic essentials of what the Lord has commanded in the great commandment, loving God and loving people. Something's off when it's just second nature for me to protect my wife, but I really don't protect the glory of the Lord. And I'm not earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. When, when this relationship, did I say that we're all going to give an account for that and we need to make sure that we're doing that? I'm telling you, I've been preaching my guts out for 25 years over that list. but you can make a God out of marriage and lose your way. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see, that we miss the point. And we give evidence of the fact that we're more enamored with the picture of marriage than we are the reality that it pictures. And rather than my marriage furthering the gospel and the mission of Christ, my marriage, even if I am fulfilling my seven biblical responsibilities to my wife, it's hindering the gospel and it's hindering the mission of Christ in the world. And what Paul is saying in verse 29 is that being married shouldn't do one thing to hinder our service to Christ. Being married shouldn't do one thing to diminish the glory that we are bringing to him through our life. Being married shouldn't do one thing to distract our focus on bringing Christ the maximum glory through our life. 
Being married shouldn't do one thing to decrease the time we spend investing in his everlasting kingdom. When it comes to all of those things, Paul is saying to us here, if you have a wife, in terms of your relationship with Christ, your relationship with him shouldn't look any different than if you didn't have a wife. And obviously, the reverse is also true for the ladies I mean, I think that's assumed in verse 29, but he goes on to spell that out down in verses 34 and 35. And we don't have the time to read it, ladies. Read it later. But again, the, the point is, and he says this at the end of verse 35, that listen, marriage is a great thing. But for those of us who are married and for those of us who may get married someday, we ought to be able to do it and still be able to give to the Lord our undivided attention. Giving our undivided attention to the things of the Lord and pleasing the Lord. And listen to those two words that he puts right at the end of it. To be able to do it without distraction. I wish you could go to the marriage conferences that I go to when I'm preaching all these seven responsibilities to the men. And I do it against the backdrop of the fact that it says that if we don't do that, our prayers will be hindered. So it's a big deal to God. But now God comes along and he's trying to get us to see we ought to be able to be married and continue to have our undivided attention on the things of the Lord and pleasing the Lord without distraction. Mm. In other words, our relationship with our spouse shouldn't be a distraction from our relationship with the Lord. And fulfilling our biblical responsibilities to our spouse shouldn't distract us from the responsibility to focus on fulfilling the mission. I I, I wish I had more time tonight because I would just love to hang on the rim here. I don't have time. I got, I got to move on. He uses two other key words back in verse 32. He, he tells us that when it comes to being married, not only should it be without distraction, but it should be without carefulness. In other words, being married shouldn't cause us to be full of care about the things that have to do with our spouse and how we may please our spouse. But God's plan is that marriage partners are so enamored with Christ, so enamored with his eternal kingdom, and are so finding their abundance and sufficiency in him that we don't have to be distracted by having to concern ourselves or give massive amounts of care to prop up our spouse. 
Are you hearing me? But to be at a place where we can give our undivided attention, as verse 32 says, to care for the things that belong to the Lord, to care for the things that please the Lord. And to put it into the context of these two monumental truths that we talked about at the beginning that should reconfigure our, our mindset, Paul's trying to get us to see that marriage, as wonderful as it is, I highly recommend it. But it's temporal and it's short. Our marriage to Christ, on the other hand, is eternal and forever, and the present fashion of our marriage is gonna pass away just as soon as our time on this planet is over, whether we leave by death or by rapture. And so Paul is telling us here, it's time, y'all, that we start living in that reality. Because listen, y'all, one of the greatest travesties of life would be to get to the judgment seat of Christ and have the Lord say to us, you had a great marriage. You fulfilled your biblical responsibilities to each other, so you were happy. But you missed the point. You had all of the components you needed to have a deep impact in my kingdom but your marriage was missing one thing. It was missing the mission. Listen, y'all, do you understand that marriage is not first and foremost about us or for us? Those seven biblical responsibilities that God gives to husbands and ladies, there are seven biblical responsibilities that God gives to wives. Listen, do you understand that if a husband and a wife will fulfill those biblical responsibilities to each other, they are gonna have a pleasing and satisfying marriage. But you need to understand something. He didn't give those seven biblical responsibilities to husbands and wives so that we could learn how to be happy though married. He gave us those biblical responsibilities so that we could, listen now, so we could graphically picture to the world the loving relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to have with those of us that comprise his church. He wants to use our biblical marriage to arrest the attention of lost people so we'll have the opportunity to tell them how we have the, the marriage that we have. It's because of our marriage to Christ. So we can then give them the gospel and show them how they too can be joined to the Lord as one flesh and they too can be the bride of Christ that is a spouse to their one husband. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old codger, but most marriages, it's like two ticks and no dog. 
What I mean by that is each partner is trying to find life and find fulfillment in life by sucking it out of their spouse. Because, listen, because they're not really finding the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give in salvation. Jesus said in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I want you to notice that he didn't say, I have given you wives, I've given you husbands, and I've given you marriage so you can know what life and real living is all about. Jesus said, no, that's why I came. Abundant life is found in your relationship with me. And and listen, y'all, when we aren't finding abundant life in him and we're trying to suck it out of our spouse, boy, you're going to find that your spouse doesn't measure up. And you're going to find that your spouse certainly isn't everything you thought they'd be. But you got to remember something. They aren't Jesus. And if you're expecting them to fulfill the role of Jesus for you, I can guarantee you, your marriage is not going to be without carefulness. And it will not be without distraction. And you're going to find yourself in a very disappointing and discouraging and disillusioning marriage. Because our marriage isn't about fulfilling our happiness. It's about fulfilling Christ's mission. And so... We don't lose ourselves in each other and in our marriage. No. Together, we lose ourselves in the Lord. We lose ourselves in his kingdom. And so first of all, Paul says in this passage, listen, that the brevity of life and the fleeting fashion of life should affect us maritally, and then secondly, those two things should also affect us mentally. And by that, I mean they should affect how we think about life. Okay, so in other words, because life is so brief and because the things that that take place in this life have no continuing role in the life to come, What Paul's trying to get us to see is it should affect how we think about this life. It should give us a different mindset about it. As we just talked about, it should give us a mission mindset because Paul is saying here, the mindset, and please try to hear this, the, the, the mindset we have as we're going through life is going to affect how we feel about the things that take place in life. Did you hear what I just said? The mindset that we have as we go through this life is going to affect how we feel about the things that take place in our life. Maybe we could say it this way. How we think about life mentally 
will determine how we feel about life emotionally. And what Paul does as we come into verse 30 is he highlights two extremes of emotion. One that's expressed in the valleys of life through weeping and one that's expressed on the mountaintops of life through rejoicing. And to just cut it to the chase, y'all, as strong as it sounds, what Paul is trying to say to us is that the mindset that some of us have, the way some of us view life, the way some of us think about life and process the events of life have caused us to get so emotional on both ends of the spectrum. Sometimes we get so emotionally low because of the circumstances of our life. And we're so low that our weeping debilitates our focus on Christ and our relationship with Christ and our service to Christ and the mission. And sometimes we're so emotionally high because of the circumstances of our life that our rejoicing causes us to not be able to focus on Christ and our relationship with Christ and our service to Christ. Listen now, circumstances of life that if we didn't have a misprioritized preoccupation about what this temporal life is really about and what's really important in it, those things wouldn't control us and wouldn't cause us to spend our mental and emotional energies on temporal circumstances that leave us with little or no time or no spiritual energy to invest in the eternal things that life is really about. I, th I think that if Paul were to try to put it in words that we can understand in the 21st century... I think that Paul would want to say to the guy running his fat trap tonight and to all of us in this room, I think he would want to say, listen, some of you need to get your forlorn souls out of what Milton called in Pilgrim's Progress, the slew of despond and get focused on the fact that while we're wallowing around in our despair over our temporal circumstances of our life that will completely pass away and never be remembered when we're in heaven and when we are in the everlasting kingdom and while we're wallowing around in the slew of despond, there are countless souls around us every day that will forever be in despair in the flames of the lake of fire. When we have been entrusted with the message of the gospel that they desperately need, but we can't give it to them because we're allowing our circumstances to be so self-absorbed by the, the passing temporal 
brief life that we're living that we can't even muster the spiritual strength to open our mouth to declare it and I mean we are weeping in despair y'all and again I know that the circumstances of life can be tough I'm just trying to be true to this passage man but what he's saying is here we are weeping in despair missing the point of life when we have the promise of Romans 8:28 that all things in our life are going to work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And here we are getting all spiritually bummed out and spiritually exhausted even though the example and the testimony of Paul in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 is that the terrible things in life that happen to us in the circumstances of our lives by the time that God shakes it all out, it all happens, listen, for the furtherance of the gospel. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. God is working in our life through those circumstances that we're allowing to get us so freaked out that we can't think about the gospel when it's those very circumstances that God intended to further the gospel. And Paul's trying to get us to see that weeping over the circumstances of our lives blinds our eyes to the perspective that God wants us to have. And if Paul were to put the rest of verse 30 about those who rejoice in terms that we could understand today, he he might say to us tonight, and listen, y'all, some of us need to get our head out of cloud nine because life is just so doggone good. You got your promotion, you got your big salary increase and a bonus to boot, you're styling your new ride, you're living in your wide house, you got your vacation planned, and life is just so doggone good. You got so much to rejoice about that the good has caused us to focus on this life and to focus on this temporal passing world rather than focusing on and investing in eternal things. And on both ends of the spectrum, whether we're so emotionally deflated that we've lost sight of the mission or we're so emotionally elated that we've lost sight of the mission, Paul's message to us And I know it sounds cold. I don't mean it to be. His message to us is get over yourself. Get over your terrible circumstances. And get over your wonderful circumstances. And get back to living life for things that will outlast it. I'm sure that your pastor has found some cooler way to say it than I say it, but you can take all of the things on this life, or in this life, and put them on the conveyor belt of time, and as they pass through the filter of eternity, 
there's only two things that come out on the other side. The word of God and the souls of men. And and, and listen, y'all, when the focus of my marriage is not about investing the eternal word of God into the eternal souls of men. And when the focus of my mind is riveted toward the circumstances of my life that are distracting me from my mission, either by weeping or by rejoicing, Paul's message in this passage is we somehow need to find the reset button on our life and get our marriages and our minds, regardless of our circumstances, focused on Christ and his mission. Why? Because the time is short. And the fashion of this world passes away. Listen, y'all. We only get one shot at this life thing. Are you hearing me? We get one shot to make a difference. We get one shot to fulfill the mission. We get one shot to invest in eternity. We get one shot to get it right. And Paul is saying here that some of us, because of our weeping, and others of us, because of our rejoicing, we're going to miss our shot. And we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day, and we're going to see it all so differently then. And God, through the apostle Paul, is trying to get us in this passage to see that way now. To see life the way that we're going to see it from the vantage point of the judgment seat. Because if we could see it that way now, listen, y'all, I don't know if we've got the rest of the night, but we've got some time to make a difference. We've got time to do something about it. And so Paul says, listen, we must allow the brevity of life and the reality of the temporal nature and fleeting fashion of life to affect us maritally, to affect us mentally, and then thirdly and lastly, to affect us materially. In other words, it should affect how we view money and possessions and the things that we tend to make a priority as we do life down here in this, listen, physical, tangible world where we all buy clothes and we all drive cars and we all pillow our heads somewhere at night and we all use cell phones and computers and other devices And Paul tells us in this passage, listen, the time is short. You've just got so much time to live and you've just got so much time left until Jesus comes. And all of those things that I just mentioned are all things that are going to go up in smoke when the fashion of this world passes away. And they are things that at the judgment seat of Christ we're going to find had nothing to do with anything 
that mattered for eternity. And so Paul says at the end of verse 30, that those of us who buy, which is everybody in this room, he says, and they that buy should live as though they possessed none. And they that use this world as not abusing it. And Paul's trying to get us to see that because all of us go through this life and we buy the stuff that it takes to live or that we think it takes to live. And by the time we use all the conveniences that are available to us, it's possible, y'all, to get to the place to where our possessions are possessing us. It's possible to get so involved using all the cool stuff available to us in this world that they begin to use us. It's possible to spend so much money buying stuff we think it takes to live down here in this earthly kingdom that we don't have any money left to invest in the everlasting kingdom. It's possible to spend so much time using all the stuff that we think it takes to live in this life that we don't have time to invest in the life to come. Some of us spend more time and spent more time in 2019 on Instagram and Facebook than we did on our face in God's book. Some of us in 2019 spent more time on our hobby, balling, golfing, bowling, skiing, hiking, weightlifting, whatever else, than we spent investing in the lives of eternal humans. Some of us men in 2019 spent more time lusting on women than we did longing for God. Some of us have spent an inordinate amount of time in 2019 reaching our physical goals and reaching our financial goals and didn't reach one soul for Christ. Listen, y'all. Okay, this is mission focus. I, 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 this is, it seems like it, this turned out to be a negative message. <laughs> but this is to rivet our attention back to a biblical perspective about life. And, and listen, y'all, the goal is to go through this life reaching eternal souls for Christ's everlasting kingdom. And investing our earthly resources into that kingdom. So that as Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so that as Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, our entrance into the everlasting kingdom is abundant. But what happens to us Laodiceans, listen y'all, is rather than using the resources that God gives us to accomplish the goal, the goal becomes acquiring the resources. 
And so what we end up do, doing is using people to acquire things rather than using things to reach people. And in the words of Paul in verse 31, that, my friend, isn't using this world. It's abusing it. And again, Paul's trying to get us to see in the light of eternity. Because as we get to eternity and we look back on this brief, fleeting, temporal life from the judgment seat of Christ, man, I'm telling you, we are going to see it all so clearly then. But as I mentioned earlier, it'll be too late then. It'll all be then a matter of what could have been and what would have been. And I believe that this is a passage where God just peels off a little space to say, listen, this is what life is really all about. This is the way you're gonna see it from the vantage of the judgment seat. And so, let's start living like that now. Amen. <laughs> All right, worship team, why don't you make your way, and Pastor Sam, why don't you make your way, and let's conclude tonight the way that the pastor sees fit. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.